So Violet began with Olympic, that went under. So then she went to Titanic, that went under. And after that, she could have stopped there. Um, yeah. But she has her reasons for getting back on ships. And she ended up becoming a nurse during World War One, And that um, led her to working on Britannic, which then also sank. <laughs> Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome back to the show. This is episode two of season seven, and today I'm sharing a conversation I had with Jenny L. Walsh. It was so interesting to talk to Jenny and to read her novel, Unsinkable, which came out January 9th. You heard her in the intro talking about the um, the Titanic and her two sister ships, which I really didn't know much about before reading this novel. So without any more discussion, I will get right to the conversation with Jenny. Jenny, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Your latest novel, Unsinkable, released on January 9th. Can you tell me about this book? I would love to. Um, I first want to thank all of the early readers because there's been many and they've had such wonderful things to say. And as an author going into release, that makes me feel a lot better. And I've just been so happy to see readers connecting with my two characters and with the setting. It takes place during the first world war, also the second world war and leading up to the first war. And it's about two strong unsinkable, a little nod to the title there, women. And it's two point of views, two timelines. Uh, The first timeline is about a real life woman named Violet Jessup, who survives the sinking of Titanic, and also two other ship disasters. It's her story is, is one for the books, honestly. Yeah. And my second character, Daphne, hers takes place during the Second World War, and she is a spy in France as part of the special executive operation. So two extraordinary women that I had the honor to bring to life um, in this dual timeline, dual point of view novel. Yeah, that's, it's great. And I did not realize until I reached the author's note um, that one of your two, that Violet was a real person. So what inspired you to write her story? Well, I'm glad you read the author's note, and I would highly encourage everyone to read the author's note, but not until you're finished, because (laughs) I, so the two storylines seem separate from each other, but in the author's note, I really pay off how they are connected and come together. Um, But, and this is hard, I'm going to dance around and talk around this a little bit, because the reason why I wrote this book is kind of because of the connection between the two women. I was learning about Violet Jessup. I came across her at some point in time. The beauty of reading or of writing about historical women is while I'm researching one, I come across another name and I leave myself a note to come back and look at her later. And in that case, I came across Violet Jessup who, like I said, survives Titanic and then also the Olympic and Britannic. So the three sister ships that were supposed to be unsinkable. Right. And as soon as I saw her story, the first question was, why? Like, why on earth do you keep getting back on these ships? And I was like, there is a story there. There is motivation and obstacles and a huge character arc. So 
I started learning about Violet and then I came across the opportunity to include another character in the book that would align with Violet. And that's kind of where Daphne's character was born. Right. So I really learned a lot through reading this book. And I mean, obviously I already knew about Titanic, but I didn't really know anything about Titanic sister ships, Olympic and Britannic. So can you tell me without spoilers, like a Mm -hmm. little bit about Violet's experiences aboard these three different ships, three different, but similar ships. Yeah. So Olympic and Titanic were pretty much identical. There's some, some nuances there, but Violet's work as a stewardess started on the Olympic actually. And she had a shipwreck on that right before Titanic was supposed to set sail and the, uh, I guess the shipbuilders is what they're called. I don't know. <laughs> There's probably a better name than shipbuilders, but they ended up using pieces of Olympic in order to get Titanic, Titanic up and running. And mm-hmm. it actually delayed Titanic about a month from when it was supposed to set sail. And that's the reasons why it was in the icy waters because they didn't leave as planned. So Violet began with Olympic that went under. So then she went to Titanic that went under. And after that, she could have stopped there. Um, yeah. But she has her reasons for getting back on ships. And she ended up becoming a nurse during World War One, And that um, led her to working on Britannic, which then also sank. <laughs> right. Um, it's kind of mind blowing that all three of them were part of disasters. I mean, did Olympic actually sink or was it just damaged? It was damaged. They were leaving port and they weren't too far from port actually. And they had a run in with another ship. So it started to go under, but they were able to get it back to port before it sank. Right. Okay. So, um, and then you, you mentioned that you made up the other protagonist completely, um, Daphne. Can you tell me more about why and how you created her character? Yes. So, and I, again, have to talk around this a little bit, but yeah, no spoilers. (laughs) Yes. Please read the author's note. It'll all come together and make sense. But Daphne's character was one that needed to have kind of a cloudy past. Someone who was under the radar a little bit. Her backstory that I created is her mother was, died when uh, Daphne was young and now she lives with her father who is this big um, film director, producer, star. And um, he doesn't want Daphne to be part of his life. Essentially. He doesn't want everyone to know that she exists. So she kind of has these big daddy issues and she's always trying to prove herself to him and get his attention and what have you. So when this opportunity essentially comes to her door to be a spy during the war, second world war in France. She's like, yes, this is a great opportunity. I'm going to do amazing things. And I'm going to say, Hey daddy, look, this is everything I accomplished. Um, Of course, she's going to have a character arc that, you know, makes her deeper and more profound than just wanting to prove herself to daddy. But while she's going through that arc, I was able to pull from the 39 real women who were part of the special executive operations in France. And I took their real stories and anecdotes and backgrounds and kind of just took all that and made Daphne a composite of all those women. And then also in my author's note, I break down exactly 
who Daphne is made up of and what they accomplished. Right. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, Was it difficult then to have one protagonist who was a real person and another that you were kind of piecing together from different characters? Um, Like, how did you balance that knowledge that you had about Violet with your fabrication, kind of, for lack of a better word, of Daphne? You know, it was a lot of fun because it kind of, with Daphne gave me the leeway to just be really creative and use my imagination. Whereas with Violet, I tried to keep it as to the book as possible and like literally to the book because she had a memoir. And um, the first thing I did because I want it to be in Violet's head and her emotions and feelings and those experiences is I literally retyped the whole memoir. um, So I could really get an essence of who she was. Wow. So that when I was done that, I was like, okay, I know exactly the story I want to tell. And I don't tell her entire life story because that would be too much. And, it would, you know, different tangents go off of my storyline. Sure. But that really helped me bring Violet to life. And then with Daphne, I just had so much fun cherry picking. Okay, I want this story. I want that moment. And this is how it comes together. And uh, it was it was really fun to have that creative license. Yeah. So do you feel like you enjoyed writing Daphne more than Violet? It, that's a hard question to answer because I feel like I enjoy all of both scenarios. So I'm a very type A person. So for me to, to be like, okay, this is who Violet was. These are the things I need to include. It's kind of like check, check, check. It's very <laughs> rewarding. Yeah. Like, okay, I worked that in. Done. Let's go on to the next one. So that's really fun for me. But then creating someone from scratch is also fun. So I feel like I really had the best of both worlds in this novel to have both Violet and Daphne. Okay, that's cool. So have you written a real character into a fictional book before? Because it just seems so difficult to do to walk that line between fact and fiction when you're, you're telling the real story about someone, but in a, in a novel. So how can, how can you, how, did you manage that? Yeah, I asked you several questions there. First of all, have you done it before? Yeah, so I, I've i done a lot of biographical fiction before, or I mean, there's I guess you could call it fictional memoir as well. I have done um, two books about Bonnie Parker from Bonnie Parker's point of view. She's, you know, half the infamous Bonnie and Clyde duo. Yeah. I've written about Eleanor Dumont, who has the nickname of Madame Mustache, who um, was during the wild west times and is the reason okay. why blackjack exists in our country. So her story is phenomenal as well. Wow. Um, so I've done biographical fiction in the past and I've also done some where I've made up fictional characters. The call of the wrens has two fictional characters. Yes. So yeah, I've, done, I've done both and it was nice in this one to be able to do both at once. <laughs> yeah, that's neat. So how do you, kind of walk that line? Like, how do you take a real person, but fictionalize their story? Do you have any insight on that? So I just try to be as authentic as possible. I don't want to change history, but I also have to make sure it fits with the storyline that I want to tell. So if I need to slightly tweak it to fit the storyline, I will. But one thing that I always try to do is explain to my authors, you know, what's real, what's not real, and what I had to slightly change and what I had creative license on. 
but um, yeah, I try to be as authentic with my characters as I can. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I'm going to pivot a little bit because I'm, I'm curious about your, the path that your career has taken. I understand that you worked for a long time as a copywriter. Mm -hmm. And um, can you tell me how you then became a published author? Yeah. Copywriting, I feel was a great segue into publishing. I worked on television, radio, print, basically headlines, short form, long form. And even in like the short brochures, you're telling a story, you know, you have the the cover page. And then when you flip the page, you want the story to continue inside the brochure and everything builds and tells a story. So I feel like copywriting really set me up to being an author. Um, And funny enough, I didn't have aspirations to be an author until suddenly I did. Oh, really? My my husband kind of sparked that for me because he challenged me to write a book. And I was like, okay, fine. Like that seems easy. And it was not, it was not easy (laughs) at all. And the first book I wrote, um, I will say was horrendous. It really was. But in that process, I learned that I, I truly loved it. So then I wrote another book and that Mm -hmm. one was slightly better, but still horrendous. (laughs) And then I wrote another book and that one I was able to get my first agent with. And unfortunately, it didn't sell, but I wrote another book and uh, that one um, was my first release in 2017. And that was my first Bonnie Parker book. Okay. So you started out with um, biographical fiction then? So I started actually writing um, paranormal fantasy kind of things. Oh, wow. And those were the first two attempts, uh, just getting, because funny enough, it happened during the vampire craze. And I didn't write about vampires, um, but I wrote about like water sprites, which is something that was fun. But then as I started writing and learning more about myself as an author and my interests and everything, I found that it really was history. So Mm -hmm. the first um, novel that I wrote that didn't end up being published was about Anastasia Romanoff. And I learned that I loved writing about real people, real places, real times, and doing that history research. I really found that I love that. That's interesting because one of the other authors I've read who writes about real people is um, Ariel Lahan, and she wrote a book about Anastasia Romanoff. So that's that's cool. Um, So that was your third book was the Anastasia one? Yes. And... And that's the one that didn't sell. That, no. that, Maybe one day I'll dust it off. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, I think we all have some of those that were like, okay, maybe I'll go back to this yeah. someday. Then you were able to get an agent with that book though. And and then, but you didn't sell until you did the, the book about Bonnie. Yep. Okay. And was that a book for children? Because I understand you write nonfiction and fiction books for children as well as writing adult historical novels. When I first wrote the Bonnie book, it was young adult and my agent put it out as young adult. Um, But one of the editors that we had pitched worked on both young adult and adult, and she thought that it would be better as adult. So she asked me if I would be willing to shift age groups. And that's kind of what put me in the adult age group, which is funny because uh, you never know (laughs) where the industry is going to take you, where life's going to take you essentially. Like 
Yeah. I didn't know I want to be an author until I was challenged to be an author. And then I didn't know I was going to write adult historical until someone was like, Hey, what do you think about adult historical? And then from there, you know, I'm on book, I think my sixth adult book. And then yes, I also write middle grade uh, uh, novels and nonfiction as well. So for ages like eight through 12. Um, So how do you manage all these different like types of writing that you do? Can you kind of share what your typical day is like? Do you, are you just focused on one project at a time? Um, How does that work for you? So I typically try to focus on one project at a time because I really like when like the voices kind of like infiltrate my head as bonkers as that sounds. Um, (laughs) But there's always times where I'm working on a proposal for one project while working on edits for another while writing another. So they do overlap, but um, when I'm working on a project, I try to just have all of my focus there. And that really helps when I'm jumping between an adult voice and a middle grade voice. And just my writing style will shift too for my middle grade books. I mean, those ones are amazing. They, they, they cut just like straight to the quick, like you get into the story, you get into the emotions and the feelings and the action. And there's not quite as much time as you would with an adult book to let the characters breathe and really get into their heads. And there's more narration in my adult stuff. So there's different approaches to both. And I just have to get my head on straight to be like, okay, this day I'm working on middle grade or that day I'm working on adult. And um, Mm -hmm. I love changing it up. It keeps me on my toes and I love doing both age groups. Yeah, that's cool. Um, So can you tell me more about your research and writing process, especially for like your adult novels? Because I, well, I don't know. Is there a difference in your approach to the research and, and when do you do the research versus starting the writing? Tell me a little bit about your process with that. Well, I absolutely love when I have a memoir that I can begin with. And yeah, you already mentioned that you like rewrote (laughs) violence. So so that's that's some time. (laughs) But when I have like, and a lot of my people that I have written about since they are real, a lot of them do have a memoir or like a memoir that I can get my hands on about at least somebody in that time frame or that setting, which is really, really helpful. So I generally try to start with nonfiction and I will probably do two to three months of research, just get my head in the right time period, the right voice. And, but that's all that I can really do because I get anxious and I want to start writing and I want to just get going. So I I do most of my research as I'm going along and I'll spend two hours and then it leads to a paragraph, but (laughs) the process works for me and then it ends up taking a little bit longer to write the book. But when I'm, when I'm done, it's, it's solid. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there was so much history worked into unsinkable that I, did not know. And the same with The Call of the Wrens, which I read, I think I read that last year and really enjoyed it too. So it just seems like there's a lot of history worked into that, which you don't always find in historical fiction. Sometimes it's just the backdrop, but yeah. it's nice when it, you know, it has sparked me a couple times um, since I read Unsinkable. I, I was, you know, kind of reading about those sister ships because I didn't know about them before. And then I was telling some family about it over Christmas. <laughs> and so I was like looking it up again and reading <laughs> and telling them about Violet Jessup. So 
yeah, I think that's a good thing when a book sparks yeah. you to find out more about a topic. It makes me feel like I've done my job when I've gotten you excited about my my women. <laughs> yeah, right. Definitely. So can you tell us what you're working on next? Yeah, so I just finished writing and now it's with my editor. Um, my next novel, which will come out in early 2025. And okay. this is another biographical fiction. It's about a woman named Alice Marble. And her life story is incredible. She played tennis in the 1930s. She was the number one female player in the world. She also was an editor and writer for the Wonder Woman comics. Oh, really? Then to complete the trifecta, she was a spy during the Second World War. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So she really was Wonder Woman. Yes, she really was. She's just good at everything she does. Wow. Um, Her story was so interesting to tell. um, And I, I really enjoyed it. And I think readers are going to love Alice because she's snarky and confident, but also vulnerable. And she's just this dogged human who just goes after what she wants, but she had so much heartbreak in her life as well. So there was, there was a lot of story to tell and I just really Mm. enjoyed telling it. Now, did you tell that in um, just one timeline or I told there's two timelines. Um, Okay. So there's one that, starts with the war and all her spying efforts. And then the other timeline um, is what I call past tense Alice. And she um, goes through the rise and fall and rise of her career. So I have one kind of like tennis focused timeline. And then the second timeline is um, more like war focused. Okay. But only one protagonist then? Yes. Just Alice. Okay. I do one of the timeline in present tense and then the other one in past tense, which was very interesting while writing to make sure I didn't slip up as I was going along. Yeah. So do you write, when you write dual timeline, do you write one timeline at once and then the other, or how do you manage that? Do you go back and forth? I've done it both ways. So in the call of the Wrens, I wrote one point of view all the way through. And then I went back and I did Evelyn's point of view. And then I kind of aligned it to make sure that they had similar, you know, high points, low points, action scenes, and like made sure it went back and forth. And then, you know, they alternate. So I did, in that case, I did one point of view and then the other point of view with unsinkable. I ended up because their stories were vastly different, but I still wanted them to, play off of each other's highs and lows and emotions. And again, the action scenes, I had to do them back and forth as I was writing. So that one was, um, I felt that was a bit more challenging to do than doing one and just staying in that voice. So I had to keep going right. between the voices, but hopefully, yeah, I, so. hopefully I pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Wow. So interesting how our writing processes work. Um, but so this is a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Uh, wow, there's so many different ways I could answer that. But I think since I write about women, I I love the idea that I can tell stories of these women's whose stories that you might not know and shed light on them and 
I find it so inspirational to look back and see what women have done when they weren't supposed to. Like what the one story that I wrote about Eleanor DeMont, she dealt blackjack in taverns that women weren't even allowed in and just completely paved her own way in a man's world. And I love that she's where she's not supposed to be. And Mm. stories where I feature women in the war, I love that they're doing things that you might not have realized women did. Like in The Call of the Wrens, uh, my two protagonists are uh, motorcycle dispatch riders, riding across battlefields to the front line. Like I had no clue women had done that. So um, yeah, I just love telling these stories that we might not know about women. And and we've always been remarkable. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. So Jenny, this has been a great conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? Um, So I am just Jenny L. Walsh across all social media. Try to make it easy on everyone. Just same name everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, friends, wasn't that just the best conversation? Jenny shared so much information with us, and I just, I can't even get my mind around Violet Jessup's story. I'm going to actually share a quote from Violet to end the program in a minute. But before that, I just want to ask you to support the show in a few ways. If you could rate the show and review it, that really helps people find it. Make sure you're following it or subscribe to it, whatever the app you use to listen calls it. I know in Apple podcasts, it's called following a show, but in others, you subscribe to the show. So do that and rate review and also share it with someone. That would be great. Make sure you visit the show notes at alisontreat.com slash B-L-O-G. There you can find links to Jenny's books and other helpful links as well. So friends, I am just amazed by Violet's story, as I mentioned several times. And I wanted to share a quote from her memoir. Now she's talking about how she made it her habit to take in the fresh air on deck before she went to bed for the night. And what she said was, if the sun did fail to shine so brightly on the fourth day out, and if the little cold nip crept into the air as evening set in, it only served to emphasize the warmth and luxuriousness within. So my friends, keep learning about these fascinating stories by reading historical fiction, and I will talk to you again next week. 